Today we are in part two of a brand new series called Functional Families. And in this series, we are exploring uh, God's design for family. And in the beginning, when God designed families, uh, he meant for us to be an environment uh, where we would feel love and support. And many of us have had those experiences where uh, we've had some awesome moments with family, uh, some amazing moments with them. But unfortunately, sometimes we have also uh, encountered when family members hurt us, and sometimes they can hurt us the most. Uh, Sometimes uh, when we look at our family members, they become a source of hurt or pain or frustration or a deep wound. And so in this series, we are exploring some of the practical tools that God gives us to help us uh, to have healthy, happy, functional families. Now, uh, if you missed last week, I highly recommend you go back and listen to Jake. He did an amazing job of kicking off this series. Uh, Our prayer is that you don't miss a week, okay? Because our prayer is that uh, through this series that our families would be made stronger as we go about listening to what God has for us. And so that's what we would love for you to do. So today we're gonna talk about forgiveness. Now, when I was growing up, I had a best friend who was like a brother. Uh, His name was John. And uh, John was the type of guy who liked to have fun, but at the expense of others. Did you have a friend like that? Uh, Yeah, uh, somebody did. But anyways, um, so John, if you were friends with him, you had to be like on your toes all the time. So one time uh, after uh, our volleyball high school practice, uh, he drove and we went to a store and we were picking up some snacks and Gatorade and stuff like that. And uh, he goes to the cash register, we're going up to the cash register, and he goes and pays first for his items. And then I begin to pay for my items and he's done. And as uh, I'm starting to try to pay for my items, he all of a sudden goes, Tim, I can't believe you're not gonna pay for that. And I was just like, and my eyes start to look up and the cashier starts to look at my eyes. I'm like, that's all I have, okay? Like, he's just joking. And then he interrupts again. He goes, Tim, I can't believe you're stealing. And I was just like, at that point, again, my eyes go up, meet the cashier's eyes as well. And I said, seriously, I don't have anything. I start to like turn around, pat myself down uh, for the cashier and everything. And, uh, and so I start to try to proceed to pay for my things. And he goes, Tim, I'm not gonna stand around here and while you do this. And he walked off. And so now I'm in, by myself in front of this cashier and they are looking at me like, I don't believe you. And I'm like, he is just joking. Can I just pay for my items? They did, but they gave me this stare that wasn't that great. And so <clears throat> John was kind of doing that stuff all the time and even a lot worse. Some things I can't even say from this stage. But anyways, um, he ended up hurting a lot of people. And after high school, like we didn't keep up very much because back then uh, there weren't cell phones, uh, literally. Uh, maybe NASA had them, um, but uh, there was also social, uh, no social media, no Facebook or anything like that. I'm kind of starting to date myself. Um, but anyways, even if we had those, honestly, I probably would not have kept up with him, okay, because of some of the hurt that he had caused in my life. So years go by and all of a sudden I get this phone call out of the blue on my flip phone because it was finally then at that time that phones were out, okay? Um, And it's John. Somehow he had tracked down my number and he starts to have this conversation with me that was unbelievable. 
he starts to recount all the ways that he had hurt me. And as we continued in this conversation, at the end of the conversation, he ends up asking me for forgiveness. And he had said that God had really done an inside job on him and that he had to track me down to make sure that he and I were good. So when I got off that phone call, I didn't know how much that would mean to me. It meant a lot. And I didn't know how much I needed to hear those words from him. And so when we look at some of the people who have hurt us, you know, isn't that some of the first steps that we would want a person to take with us? I mean, even if you don't believe in God and you're here today, don't you want the person who has wronged you to say something like this, to say, I was wrong when I did and fill in the blank? And wouldn't it be amazing if the person then followed it up with saying, will you forgive me for and being very specific in that moment? And so when my friend did that, it meant a lot to me. But what about the wrongs from our family members? You know, what about, you know, when a friend does something, it seems like, okay, they hurt us. Sometimes it is traumatic. But when a family member does something against us, it seems to impact us even more. We feel betrayed, we feel hurt, we feel uh, the pain in the moment, sometimes deep-seated pain. Sometimes they do something against us that we don't feel like we could ever forgive them for what they did to us. And sometimes we don't speak those things out, uh, out loud to others of what people have done to us. And some of those things are abuse. Some of those things are affairs. Some of those are cheating on us and so much more um, that's there. So it brings up these questions. What do we do when a family member hurts us? What do we do when family members like don't seem to get it and they don't acknowledge the pain that they have caused to us? And what do we do when we can't forget what they've done to us? And so those are good questions. Those are questions that God wants to answer for us. And those are questions that deserve answers as well. And now this isn't going to be an easy process today. And I really want you, if you're kind of like wrestling in the crowd today of like, oh, where are we going today? I really want you to sit through the entire message today. I know it will be hard. But trust me, I will continue to unpack this in a way that is manageable, in a way that will speak to what God wants to say to you today. And so today we're going to examine where we can lean into God and how much he wants to put us on a path towards healing, towards freedom in our family's lives, but also more specifically in us as well. So if you would, turn with me to this very powerful chapter, Matthew 18, verse 21, in your Bibles or your smartphones devices. As you turn there, um, if you don't have a Bible, always feel free to get one from the back. Um, it's free to you. Also, we would love for you to download the YouVersion Bible app. It's an amazing tool that will help you to understand scripture and to read it. Uh, also on there recently, we have started the Epic Church account 
And so there are devotional plans that correspond with the messages that we're going through uh, where you can go deeper along with our spiritual growth challenge. So be sure to pick up the spiritual growth challenge. It will tell you uh, how to access that and how to get to Epic Church as well. But go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, and I'll give you a moment to get there. Now, before we dive in, let me set the scene of what's happening in Matthew chapter 18. It's a powerful chapter. It's a chapter that you should read. So Jesus has been teaching, healing people, performing miracles like no one has ever done before. And we know it's about two years into his ministry and people are like blowing up social media saying, who is this Jesus? The 12 disciples, everyone is saying, is this possibly the Messiah, God himself in flesh? And we think it is. And everyone can't wait for Jesus to establish the kingdom of God here physically on earth to rule. Uh, because they were tired of the Roman oppression at the time. They were tired of Gentiles, the Jewish religious leaders. So as Jesus and the 12 disciples make their way to Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee, the disciples start to have this little argument amongst themselves of who's the greatest amongst them. And because of course, you know, um, we know Jesus and Jesus is about to have the new kingdom. Obviously he's gonna give us positions of power in his new kingdom and everything. And so finally, they can't like solve this on their own. And so um, they're like, hey, let's go talk to Jesus because, you know, they're probably thinking Jesus will put those people in their place, right? You know, and so doesn't that sound like family, right? We go to that one person who will put everybody in their place. Um, So Jesus has this family conversation with just the 12 disciples during Matthew 18. And in this conversation, he gives some of the greatest guidance for them and for us. And so we should lean into that. And so he's talking about what it means to be great in his family. He says, greatness isn't about being concerned about yourself. It's about being concerned about others. Greatness in God's family is about uh, meeting the needs of those who are needing the most. And it's also about searching for the one who is not connected to God and helping them to have a relationship with God. And because this world is not right, there's going to be wrong. Uh, You're gonna wrong each other. Let me give you some uh, things that you need to do to make sure that your relationships, being part of this family is not broken. And so when someone does something, especially in God's family, you are to go first. Don't post it on Facebook, okay? You are to go first to them. And you are to go in such a humble way to help restore the relationship. Now, when Jesus said these things, I think it started to bother uh, Peter uh, as we're about to see, okay? Peter's a very impatient guy and he's probably thinking, Jesus, okay, this is already gonna be a stretch for me to go, okay? Because I've been around these 12 guys and yes, they are like family. Some of them are starting to stink pretty bad here, okay? And they're getting on my nerves and you know they keep offending me. And so do I really need to make the effort to go to them each time? And so starting in verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? So maybe Peter's thinking like, okay, there's a repeat offender here in our group and it's Matthew. Maybe it's Matthew, okay? Um, Look here, Jesus, like two years ago, you recruited this tax collector to join our crew. 
I was against it, I said it to you, but you had him join anyways, and I'm not gonna argue with you. But Matthew keeps on like recording things about me. When he goes to sleep, I start reading all of his notes about what he's recording, and he's not painting me in a good light here, okay? And so if the Jewish religious leaders, you know, uh, say with a repeat offender to forgive them three times and then be done with them, uh, what if I put my limit at seven times? Wouldn't that make me great in God's eyes? And then I can finally be done with Matthew. So I think at that point, you know, Jesus probably smiles when he says this in verse 22. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So like if Peter had been like reclining and chillaxing in that moment in a seat, he probably would have like stumbled out of his seat like, what, what, you know? Um, because basically Jesus is saying that there should be no limit, no limit when it comes to forgiveness. Now at that point, all of the disciples probably would have leaned in because that was a big statement from Jesus. And seeing that he's got their attention, he does what he always does. He tells a story, a parable with some meaning behind it. And he teaches them what this should mean in their lives if they want to be great in God's family and in all of their relationships, in all of their relationships. So let's begin in this parable that Jesus tells them. So verse 23, therefore the kingdom of God can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. So that term servant is really like represents an official. It's a guy who's been like over a region, a high official uh, in collecting taxes for the Roman government. And so there was a certain amount that he had to produce. They knew it should be about this figure. Sometimes they would add a little more and push him to uh, get more, but he was also allowed to take more as well for his own profit. And so the disciples here, they might be smiling because they know that the king often in these parables represents God in the story. Okay, so they might be thinking, finally, God's going to hold these Romans and these governors accountable for overtaxing us. So in verse 24, Jesus continues, in the process, one of his debtors was brought who owed him millions of dollars. Now, which all of them would have gasped at that point because that was unimaginable. Like how could someone ever owe so much. Matthew might have raised his hand and said, Jesus, that's like more than the whole nation of Israel that's collected. Like, how is this possible? You know, how could this debt ever be paid back? And he continues, he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and that's something the Romans did, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, the disciples, they know that that's still not enough to pay for this debt that he owed. How would the king right-size this debt, even if he did that? How could things be made right? The debt was impossible to pay off. Now, we're going to come back to that near the end of this message, but I want us to frame that for a second. So remember that. You, let's make a deal. You remember that? We'll come back to that deal? Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. So obviously Jesus isn't talking about a financial debt in this illustration. So what kind of debt is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about the debt of when one person sins against another person, that type of debt. So imagine if I'm part of your family, okay? 
Um, that might not be good. But anyways, <clears throat> for, yeah, you, I don't know who. But anyways, <laughs> let's say that I'm part of your family and I sin against you. I have now created an account with you where I owe you a debt. There is a debt in your account. Now, if I continue to do wrong things against you and sin against you, I create more of a debt, more of a debt, and more of a debt, okay? Now, there is nothing that I can do to right-size that debt with you if I do nothing, okay? There is nothing that I can do to make things right, bring you some donuts or anything like that, uh, and you can't just simply ignore the debt that I've created with you because every time you see me, you remember the debt that I specifically have with you. The only way that's possible for that to never happen is if I could go back in time and not do that to you. That's the only way that it could be canceled. So how can this debt be eliminated? How can I make things right with you? How can I pay off my debt with you? Well, Jesus continues, verse 26. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Now the disciples are probably thinking like, nice try buddy, you know, but really, I mean, you could never pay off that debt. You can't like pay off that debt within your lifetime. Uh, and by the way, are you really like sincere? You know, you got caught stealing from the king and kind of like nice try, but that's not even an apology. Now we get that. Um, when the disciples make that reaction, we get it. You know, we kind of have family members at times when they do something against us. Um, they have this kind of like half-cooked apology. And we sense that, you know, something's not right in their apology. We may not be able to put a finger on it, but it just falls short. And some of you have used these types of apologies. Some of us uh, have had these apologies happen to us uh, as well. But today, I don't want any like, you know, elbows in the aisles, okay? That's not good. Uh, if you're watching from home, I don't want any on the couch today, all right? So no elbows, because we're all guilty of these. So I'm gonna share kind of like the top 10 uh, half-baked apologies, okay? That are really not apologies. Here's number one, premature apology. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now they may st stop at that, but now can we drop the whole thing and just move on? Number two, an apology of expedience. All right, I'm sorry. Now can we watch the game? You heard that last week, okay? Some of you in the room. An angry apology. Okay, I'm sorry. Is that what you wanted? Like saying it strong, like, okay, I'm sorry. Is that what you wanted? You know, oh, that's not good. Excusing apology. I'm sorry, however... I'm going to point the finger back to you. All right, number five, partial apology. I'm sorry you feel bad. Was that even an attempt? Okay, number six, evasive apology. Let's not be mad anymore. That's going to solve things. Number seven, let's just forget the whole thing and bury it. Okay, not good at all. Number eight, an apology without remorse. I'm sorry, I'll admit you have a point. All right, the feelers in the room are going, okay, all right, the logic is not gonna work here. Number nine, blame shifting apology. I'm sorry you're so sensitive. Oh, don't use that one. Some of you have had that happen. Trivializing apology. Hey, it's no big deal, sorry, okay? Those are not apologies. And when that happens to us, you know what happens? The debt is only even more, isn't it? And we get angrier and we get madder and because it's like, they don't really get us. 
do they? They don't really get what they did to us. So what's a true apology? Well, I'm so glad my mama, a long time ago when I was young, taught me the components of what a real apology is. And I'm so glad she taught me because I've been able to use that with people. I've been able to use that with my wife, my children. When I sin against them, this is what I do. This is what many people do. So here's a a way to really work through something. First, there's a regret. If I've sinned against you, I need to have a realization that I've hurt you. I've created some debt within you for what I've done against you. So even if it's like not 100% that I agree, but it's 10%, guess what? I'm wrong. I've done something against you. Number two, responsibility. For an apology to be effective, it must be clear you are accepting total responsibility. So be specific. I was wrong when I fill in the blank. Then ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me for fill in the blank? No one's gonna say, I don't believe you when you say that, okay? When you humble yourself and say those types of things, you invite the possibility for debt to be canceled and the relationship to be restored. And finally, number three, remedy. Now, the other person must cancel the debt. My mom taught me this. She's like, Tim, when you do something wrong in some way, it's so important that you truly go to that person and really own it. But if someone sins against you, you've got to own the weight as well. If they come to you and ask for forgiveness, in that moment, you have just as much weight and responsibility to say, I forgive you and release them from their debt. And so when someone comes to us and asks us for forgiveness, we need to forgive. We need to cancel their debt. That is resolving things. That is what we're to do. So let's look at this king and see how he responds to this official because it sounds like a half-baked apology, right? Verse 27, then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. You mean even though the servant like didn't ask for forgiveness, the king could forgive? Yes, he could because that's what God does. And we can do that as well. One day there's gonna be judgment, okay? But God right now, He is never giving up on us and chasing after of us, even when we remain in sin. He's creating an environment of love and forgiveness so that it's possible for someone to turn from their sin. And so when we go after someone, when we're concerned, we are creating that type of atmosphere for forgiveness to be possible in that moment. Now, in 14 years, I've worked with a lot of uh, families. I've worked with a lot of uh, couples and marriage. And one of the things that's one of the toughest moments is when I've worked with couples where there's been a spouse who's had an affair, okay? And it is just so hurtful and it is so hard. And it seems like there's no way forward at all. And I can't even describe the intensity in some of those sessions that I go through with that couple. But as we get through the storm and we get on the other side of the storm, I can't put this into words really well at all, but when we get to a spot where forgiveness is asked for, when the person who commits the affair says, will you forgive me for having an affair I was so 
wrong. And the other person looks at them in their eyes and says, I for forgive you for having an affair. That's a God thing. It is indescribable. And I've seen so many marriages continue on when it doesn't make sense, but it does. Because that's the power of forgiveness. Now, picking up in verse 28, now this story takes a turn, okay? But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant, someone who worked for him, a lesser tax collector, who owed him a few thousand dollars, which was like nothing. The guy could have made that up in like six months, okay? He grabbed him by the throat. Yeah, you read that, okay? He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man, the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Now, isn't that crazy? You know, here's the servant who owed millions of dollars and stole from the king, but yet could not give this guy a chance, okay? Now, if the king had forgiven his debt, which he could never pay back, right? Don't you think that he should forgive this guy his debt, you know? But here's what happened. One time, um, there was a guy who came to Epic and he became a Christ follower. And um, he was so grateful to Jesus for forgiving him of all of his past sins. And he would say that his list was very, very long, okay? And um, as I got to know him over the years, at one point he said, hey, Tim, could we meet? And I said, absolutely. Now, he doesn't mind me sharing this story. Uh, he said, hey, use it as often as possible because I want people to know the power of forgiveness. And so Jeff came to me and he said, hey, I've got this anger issue. I just keep exploding. And I had noticed. And he said, I just explode on people. I explode on my wife my children, my dad, and everyone. Why do I have this anger? And as we began to dive into his story, we learned that his dad was just awful. I mean, I can't even repeat some of the things that dad did to Jeff, okay? And so I'm like, oh my goodness. And so about two thirds of the way into his story, I said, hey Jeff, do you mind me asking, have you ever forgiven dad? And he's like, and he said something I can't repeat here on stage, but um, <clears throat> he got real intense and I would expect that from him. And so as we continued on and he said, so Tim, what do I need to do? I said, Jeff, you're not gonna like this, okay? But in order for you to have a present and to have a future, you need to forgive dad from the past. If you want the things that replay over and over in your mind from what dad did to you to stop, you're gonna to have to forgive. And it's gonna take a lot of work. This is not going to be easy. It's gonna be something that you're gonna to have to dive deep on when dad is not willing to ever acknowledge what he did to you. Now, Jeff didn't like that answer, okay? But he continued to meet with me and continued to uh, do the journey of forgiveness. And let's continue to see what happens to this servant, okay? So verse 31, 
When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man who owed him millions that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now, did Jesus just say God tortured someone? He did. But it's not the torture that you're thinking of, okay? Remember, this is an illustration. This is a point, and it's around forgiveness. So basically, God is saying to the servant, hey, so you want to live by justice? Then I'm going to hold you to that system of justice. Basically, you won't forgive? Well, one of the worst prisons that we can put ourselves into is unforgiveness, okay? If we refuse to forgive others, then we're only imprisoning ourselves. We're only allowing the tapes to replay over and over again, and it's causing us torture on the inside. And that's what happened to Jeff. As we got into his story, he could not stop the tapes from playing over, and he, couldn't, he didn't know when those tapes were gonna be replayed because all of a sudden something in life he bumped up against, and then he explodes because it brought back a memory. He couldn't talk to dad anymore. He just got too angry with him, and it haunted him. It was a living hell to him. Now, I know some of you have that, and I'm so sorry that you're living in hell because of what was done to you, the debt that was created in your account by someone else. But I want you to be able to have healing and freedom. And so Jeff, at one point, after we met for a long time, he came to this turning point. And I said, Jeff, can I say something to you? And he's like, yeah. I said, Jeff, if God has forgiven you of all of your past and it's much more debt than you could ever pay back to Jesus, isn't it time that you forgive dad of his debt? Whew. He didn't like that. And he paused and it sunk in. Now, that was hard for Jeff to hear. And these next words, I'm gonna tell you, are very hard for us to hear from Jesus. And this is how Jesus ends this story. He says in verse 35, Jesus said, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, when that hit Jeff, and he saw how much he was trapped and how much it was torturing him, he said, Tim, I'm ready. What do I have to do? I said, Jeff, here's what you need to do. This isn't gonna be like in a night. This is gonna take several weeks, okay? But I want you to go and have time with God, and I want you to say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, remind me of everything my dad did against me, and start to write a list of everything dad did. You can make it in a journal, you can do bullet points, whatever is for you. And then I want you to go back and I want you to go line by line and say, I forgive dad for whatever it was. He no longer owes me 
His debt is canceled just like Jesus canceled my debt. Move on to the next one. It took him eight weeks to do that. Eight weeks was not easy. It was one of the toughest things he had ever done. And so after that happened, dad never asked for forgiveness, okay? But here's what happened. All of a sudden, after Jeff forgives dad, dad calls him up. And dad is in a critical juncture in his life. And Jeff, instead of responding with anger and just hanging up, says, dad, I'm gonna come and help you. He spends time, money, and helps dad out of a very critical moment in dad's life without anger, without exploding. And then all of a sudden, um, dad begins to call Jeff like every week. And Jeff was like, I'm gonna talk to dad. And then it turned into almost every day. And he said, Tim, I'm no longer angry with my dad. In fact, I kind of have the dad that I always wanted to have. And here's what happened, okay? At one moment, Jeff got in a critical juncture. Dad did not know this, okay? But dad all of a sudden says, hey, Jeff, um, I want to do this for you and your family. Now, he had no clue what was going on. And it blew Jeff's mind. Now, is the relationship like good and perfect? It's not. But when Jeff chose to forgave, to forgive, it opened up a pathway towards healing and forgiveness from what was done to him. And it freed his present and it freed his future. Now, how is that type of forgiveness possible? Okay. Now, I want you to remember back when the disciples thought, you know, how could this king right-size this tremendous debt? You remember when I said that? That this servant owed him millions. How could this be made right? The debt was impossible to pay off, but it was still there, right? Well, have you ever thought about the debt that we've created with God? All of us combined? We don't, but he does. And you know what he does for us? He sent his son, King Jesus, to die for our debts. That's how he deals with us. He came so that we could be saved from our debt. He came for everyone, for you, for me. When we put our trust, when we ask Jesus forgiveness, our debt, is canceled. He even did this while he was here on earth. He forgave the people who killed him while they were doing it. People spit on him. They mocked him. They cursed him. They laughed him. In Luke, we find out they called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews when he's on the cross, save yourself. And instead of defending himself, instead of explaining what was actually about to take place, Jesus prayed this powerful prayer that you've heard. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. So just as we are forgiven, Jesus calls us to forgive each other. Let me say that again. So just as we are forgiven, Jesus calls us to forgive each other. Let's say that together loud, all right? So just as we are forgiven, Jesus calls us to forgive each other. Whew. That's greatness. 
That's being part of God's family. That's what he did for us with our tremendous debt. So how do we take the first step in forgiveness of family members who've caused us so much pain and hurt? Well, it starts with forgiveness. It starts with canceling their debt. And this is something that we choose to do. This is what God puts in our court. And when we forgive, we will be able to then get on a path towards healing and towards freedom. Even when a person is not ready to come to us and ask for forgiveness, we can forgive them. We can cancel their debt. They don't have to control us. Our past no longer has to control us. So here's what we're gonna do. In a moment, I'm gonna close in prayer and give us an opportunity to forgive a person. Now, I know this is gonna be really hard. For some of you, it's like, hey, I only got some light stuff. Some of you are like, man, Tim, this is heavy. And don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to forgive, okay? So if you're like here today, and as you call out to God, I want all of us to call out to God during this closing prayer. And I just want us to say, God, would you help bring to mind the person that I need to forgive in my family? And for some of us, again, if it's light, it's like, okay, let's do this. And pray, God, you know, the other day, last night, this morning, they did this to me, I forgive them. Let's get in the practice of forgiving, just like Jesus said, there is no limit. So that way there's not a debt that's running up in our accounts with other people. We are to check our hearts every day. That's the Lord's prayer. 40% of the Lord's prayer is about checking our hearts and sin against another. So would you do that today? Now for others of you, you're like, Tim, that is just too much. And I totally understand. And that's not what I'm asking you to do today. For others of you, you have been hurt so bad. You've been abandoned maybe. You've never said this out loud, but you were abused or someone cheated on you. And so today, this is the step that I'm gonna to propose to you, okay? There are two amazing resources that have ministered to me and I've used with many people on forgiveness. The first one is Enemies of the Heart by Andy Stanley. It's breaking free of four emotions that control us. And one is anger and it deals with those who have sinned against us. The other one is Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa Turquist. It's amazing. She opens up about this major hurt in her life and gives so many details. And it's like, oh my goodness, she hits it from every single angle. So if that's you, if something traumatic has happened in your life, and it's like, Tim, I'm not in there. This is what I would love for you to do today. Would you just simply say to God, God, I'm ready to start to take a step. And so Lord, would you help me begin this journey? And I'm willing to get one of these books. And if there's one book to get, it would be Enemies of the Heart. I've put it on the Spiritual Growth Challenge. You can take pictures of it on the screen or anything. But would you read that book? That's all I'm asking. Now, others of you, you might be like, wow, Tim, that's still too much. Would you simply have a conversation with us? We have a care and counseling ministry, and we would love to sit down with you and start to have a conversation to help. And so you can stop by the care center. You can fill out a care form. You can talk to somebody, be prayed with, or you can just set up an appointment online. You can fill out the care form, and we would love to meet with you and help you process through what you're battling and what is trapping you and what is ensnaring you. 
And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to sing this amazing song. And the song that we're going to sing, I want us to turn this into a prayer. I want us to just cry out to God and call upon him to help bring healing and freedom in our families. Could you imagine if every person in this room, all during all three services, dealt with forgiveness instead of bitterness, dealt with healing instead of being trapped, dealt with being free instead of living in a torture. So let's go ahead and stand and let's begin and I'm gonna pray. So Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We're so grateful that you are a God who is slow to anger and patient with us and merciful. Thank you for forgiving us of our debt, which we could never, we could never pay back to you. Jesus, thank you for coming and paying the debt for us so that we might be able to have a relationship with you when we put our faith in you, Jesus. Now, right now, there's some people who are dealing with some things that are kind of light, maybe, in their category. But Lord, it's serious. It's a debt that's been created. And maybe they don't need to talk to the person. Maybe it doesn't warrant that. But Father, would you bring to mind right now what that is, the person in our family that we need to forgive? And at this time, in your hearts and in your minds, would you say, Lord, I forgive this person for doing this. I cancel their debt. Thank you for canceling my debt. I forgive them. And so just spend some time in prayer like that. And then Father, there's others who are doing, dealing with stuff that's just the unspeakable. And I pray for them. My heart goes out to them. And Lord, I know what it's like when something is stolen. And so Lord, today, would they cry out to you and say, Lord, I'm not sure if I'm up for this, but I'm gonna trust you. I need your help. I'll read one of those books. I'll get an appointment. I'll start to take a step, a first step. So if that's you, would you just cry out to him in your heart? So Father, we just thank you. And as we sing this song, we're calling out to you. We're asking that you would heal and bring freedom to our families in our lives, Lord. That's what you want to do. You want to set us free. We are captives when we do not forgive. And you care so much about us because we're family. And that's what family does. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.